One of the greatest gifts of being a blogger or podcaster is the ability to give a voice to the voiceless. Meeting Charleston introduces Charleston's exciting local business minds to the community. And the Holy City Center takes everyday news stories, amplifies them, and puts them in a context that makes them easily digestible. It was never our intention to be a voice during moments of crisis. But based on the current events, both nationally and right here in Charleston, we want to share our platforms with those who are trying to be the leaders that our community needs. We are here to bring our followers an open discussion and introduce them to some new voices that may be the local drivers for change as we move forward. Welcome to the Uniting Charleston podcast series. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Uniting Charleston podcast. We are here with Christian Singer of the Holy City Center, the crew from Meeting Charleston, and uh, Congressman from South Carolina District 1, Joe Cunningham. Thank you so much uh, for uh, having us here, Cong Congressman. Of course, Mark. Thanks for, thanks for having me. And uh, Christian, good to see you as well. Good to see you. Nicole, good. pleasure. Good to meet you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. So, you know, I, uh, I looked online. I don't see a ton of, of interviews with you that came up right away with, for the videos, but I was you know, curious, how has been, how's it been being in Congress? How has it been different than what you expected going in? I, I don't know. You know, people always ask, like, is it what you expected? And I, I'm not sure I could have ever expected uh, what's transpired this session. I mean, this has been, even I talked to some of my colleagues who've been in there for years and years, they're like, this session, the 116th Congress, is um, like nothing we've ever seen before. I mean, think about it. We, we came in, I came into office during the middle of the longest government shutdown. I mean, like the first week I was in office, I was down there at the U.S. Coast Guard, uh, downtown Charleston, uh, talking to folks there who had not been paid and were not going to get paid in the near future, but were still working. And I have to explain to them how we're working to to solve this crisis and end the government shutdown. And so that's that's just how it started, um, and more or less all the other um, things that we've encountered, uh, whether it be uh, impeachment proceedings or the conflict with uh, Iran, or um, now this global pandemic. I mean, it's for a two-year term, it's been pretty jam-packed, to say the least. Yeah, it's also been a freshman class of Congress people yeah. who, uh, who have certainly got, gotten out there and gotten their names in the media and started to make a difference. What are some of the things that you've worked on so far that you know, you're most proud of or that you think uh, – that you think you know you've where you've accomplished the most. I mean, I'm, we're very, very proud of uh, what we've gotten accomplished in the short time that I've been up there. And you know, as we s sit here um, in Mount Pleasant, our our office, our local offices, uh, you know, conduct casework for people would be social security issues, passport issues, anything with any federal agency. And our office has actually closed the most number of cases. Uh, of any freshman class. And that's something I take a lot of pride in because we have such great staff. Uh, so that's what we're doing, you know, here locally. But but broadening out from that and talking about the legislation that we've passed and the differences we've made, it's just been tremendous. Uh, I've got the honor to serve on the Veterans Affairs Committee, and uh, we've gotten a lot of great things done through there just a few weeks ago. President Trump signed my bill, the VA Telehearing Modernization Act, into law. Um, that basically allows veterans to appeal their uh, benefits claims from the comfort of their own home, like Skype or Zoom, instead of having to drive to Columbia or drive down to Savannah. And folks may not realize how many of our our 
nation's heroes don't have access to a car or family or friends around that can drive them to these things, and they're they're it's a big deal. But we've um, you know also been serving on the Natural Resources Committee where our signature issue, uh, banning offshore drilling. We introduced the bill for that, got it through committee, got it to the House for it passed with bipartisan support, and, um, um, you know, very thrilled about that. Um, there's, um, I mean, there's some, there's some, there's tons of stories and, and issues and, and legislation we've passed, one of which comes to mind was um, when we uh, passed the bill to close the Charleston loophole. It's something that I introduced with Majority Whip Jim Clyburn. And as, as I'm sure you, your listeners know, the um, Charleston loophole is what allowed Dylan Roof to purchase a uh, pistol uh, with which he murdered nine African Americans at Mother Emanuel Church downtown Charleston. Uh, we introduced legislation. It got bipartisan support. Um, Senator Pinckney, who was murdered um, that evening in the church, his widow and his two beautiful daughters came to D.C. when we passed that bill. I remember them standing up in the gallery uh, as the the vote count started ticking up. To, it got to the magic number, 218, which is what you, you know usually need to pass a bill. Um, and I, that's a moment, you know, and a feeling that, that I'll never forget, just being there and... and and realizing that you know that um, you, you can make a difference and you can make a significant difference, and so you know those are those are a few things that kind of stick stick out. Maybe a, a long answer to your short question there. No, that's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, and you mentioned something in there bipartisanship. You have you obviously um, have already kind of got a reputation for for being a leader in bipartisanship. You've won won awards for it. Um, how how have you done that? It seems almost impossible for so many people and and it to to reach across the aisle. How have how have you how did you set the tone early that you were going to take that path and how have you succeeded in it? Well, I, from the very very beginning, you know, in our campaign, we we, we told people we want to put low country over party, we want to put people over politics, and and I was genuine about it and I meant it, and I think that that's that's why you had Republican mayors coming on board and endorsing our campaign because. They want somebody who's honest, transparent, and willing to work across the aisle. Everyone, I think a lot of people in this country uh, realize that we need Democrats and Republicans to work together. And the fact is, majority of the people are somewhere near the middle. Some are a little further to the left. Some are further to the right. But um, there is a lot more that we agree on than, than disagree on. And you know, you have to make an effort when you're up in Washington, D.C. And so, so I did that from, from day one when I hit the ground, uh, finding these these meetings uh, or groups or places together that where Democrats and Republicans can talk openly about issues. Um, one of them is the Problem Solvers Caucus, which I'm a member of. And that's a group of half Democrats, half Republicans that meet every week and talk about some of the main issues. And they've solved, they, they've solved a lot of problems in Congress um, they're they're credited with um, the enhanced border security bill that passed uh, last year, uh, but you know finding those locations and, and being open to other people's ideas. Uh, I go to the house gym when I'm up there every morning, and I work out with a group of Republicans. Uh, also go to the prayer breakfast, which is you know mostly Republicans, some Democrats in there, um, and yeah, you know, just let them know that I'm I'm here and I, I want to work with you um, and. I'm fortunate to be on a committee like Veterans Affairs, which is so bipartisan. Uh, I mean, like, yeah. yeah. 
I yes. can be partisan with 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 our nation's heroes, and so I wish I wish those hearings would be televised. I, I wish people could see that side of Congress because before going up there, I had the same opinion, you know, and view that everyone else did. Is that it's so divided, so divided. However, there are there are you know moments in time and and places up there where you do have people working together, Democrats and Republicans. And, um, yeah, like I said, I, I went up there with the intention to do that. And I think the, you know, our, our, the, these accolades and, uh, you know, these titles, whether it be the most bipartisan freshman member in Congress or one of the most independent members of Congress, those are things that, that, that you know, I kind of wear with a badge of honor because it's, it's being exactly who I said I'd be from, from day one. You've got uh, this week. We found out uh, officially who your opponent will be um, in November uh, coming up here, which is Nancy Mace. And so I'm assuming a lot of the stuff you just talked about, bipartisanship and what you've done so far um, in Congress, is going to be coming up, and you'll be mentioning. So, what are your thoughts in general about your upcoming race? Well, you know, uh, right now I'm I'm really not focused on it too much. I mean, during the, we're during the middle of a pandemic, and um, you know, we got businesses and, and, and folks calling our office every single day, and, and our time and energy is spent on helping those people out. I think there's going to be plenty of time for the politics later on down the road as we get closer. Uh, but right now, you know, we're like laser focused on, on doing our job, passing legislation, and uh, anxious to get back up there. We actually just introduced a bill called the Great American Outdoors Act, which permanently funds the Land and Water Conservation Fund, um, which is um, a huge issue for uh, green spaces and open spaces. So, you know, we've we still got a lot of work to do, and but I think that, you know, there's going to be a lot of time to debate the issues and talk about, uh, you know, what we've accomplished uh, later on down the road. So one of the, the one of the reasons we're doing this podcast and one of the hot-button issues right now is obviously surrounding the George Floyd uh, murder and, you know, race in general. What are some of the the things that you think you can focus on legislatively or that as a leader in our community and Charleston obviously has a, um, not the greatest past in the, yeah. these sorts of issues. Um, you know, what are some of the things that you think you can do to make a difference or you think the rest of us should be doing to make a difference? A loaded question there, um, yes. but, but it's an important one too. And, and I'm, I'm so, so glad that we're having this conversation and that we're moving people out of their comfort zones and talk about things, especially people you know, who look like us, quite frankly, and who may not have been as comfortable having these discussions, and we're having them now. And um, look, you know, I remember when I saw that video of uh, of Mr. Floyd. Um, look, it, it just it just it just hit me so hard, and I know that my friends, uh, African American friends, it, it touches them on a much more personal level. And look, and if you don't have any emotion after watching that video. Or reading the news about that, then then I don't think you have a beating heart inside your chest. Um, it, it was terrible, and unfortunately, it's um, it happens happens more often than it's recorded. I'm afraid, and you know we're just seeing what's 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 been recorded. Um, but it just it just shows we have serious problem in this country: of racial injustice and racial disparities. And we can talk about how those disparities cross over to other. Um, you know, other areas would be be economic or uh, healthcare or otherwise. But speaking specifically to this, um, 
people are people are angry, rightfully so, uh, that this has been going on so long. And I know that it started to bubble up in the last few weeks or months, but the fact is this has been going on, um, you know, for a very, very long time. And it, it's just now getting filmed more and promoted more and, and um, published more. Um, I think that, you know, speaking as Congressman Joe Cunningham here, there are things that, that I can do and that we, as members of Congress or, or state leaders can do to effectuate legislation to make sure that there's some some reform brought to our police departments and make sure that people want transparency. You know, they want, um, you know, a, a national database uh, w which follows uh, some of these, um, um, you know, uh, conflicts with, with police officers and, and abusing their power. Um, you know, we want to put an end to these archaic uh, policies like chokeholds uh, that, that disproportionately affect African-Americans. Um, you know, there's a lot of reform that we can do um, within our police departments to make them better. Uh, and, and body cameras in South Carolina, you know, passed, passed a law that, that um, requires body cameras, but it didn't fund it. And, and that's, you know, there's, there's, we have still such a long ways to go uh, on, on this issue. And, you know, we can focus on legislation that makes our uh, police departments more accountable more effective and um, and better, to be honest. We can't stop there, though, you know, because the truth is that police officers there, they they come from our neighborhoods. They're they're plucked from our community. They're cut from the same fabric as as all of us. And so the issues within them are are a reflection of issues within our society or our community. And you know, if we just solely focus on police departments and police officers and and uh, we're merely just treating the, the symptom instead of the cause and so and I want to say you know, I've got great respect for law enforcement uh, I've worked as a prosecutor I've worked alongside them recognize the job they do uh, and we, we can't let a, a few a few bad apples uh, you know ruin the bunch uh, it is a tough job they do um, and you know, but we can put in some some legislation that that does make their jobs and their roles more transparent. So, but like I was saying, we can't just stop with with passing legislation. And, and I talked about what Congressman Joe Cunningham can do, and my colleagues. But taking my congressional hat off and putting it to the side here, and talking about what can Joe Cunningham, a white guy who lives on James Island, do, and. It's similar to, to uh, what everyone else can do as well, which is starting to have these honest conversations and starting to, you know, challenge people in in, in these beliefs and um, and recognize when someone says something that's either racist or racially insensitive, you call them out, you know, and and uh, and you state it loud and clear and and let them let them know that that's just wrong because uh, it, that's the only way we can put it in into this way of thinking in this country. And it may take another generation or two, but, you know, uh, I mean, I know that my father raised me to try to be a better man than him. I'm raising my son, Boone, to be a better man than me. And, um, you know, realizing that it's not good enough just to be not racist, you have to be anti-racist. And you, you have to, like I said, call that out when you see it and, and have these conversations that, 
you know, like I said, it, it, for, for a lot of white people, it have been difficult conversations to have in the past. But um, if you think it's difficult having a uh, conversation on race, imagine feeling the brunt end of that uh, every single day. You know, I'm, I'm interested in your perspective, speaking of the different hats you've worn as the prosecutor. Is it just unrealistic to expect local prosecutors who have to work with the police departments every single day to investigate the complaints against the police departments and to hold those cops accountable? Aren't we just setting, isn't that part of the system just setting it up for failure? And don't we need some other way uh, to investigate complaints against the police or hold police officers accountable? Well, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, I mean, usually those conflicts would would result in the attorney general taking over the case uh, because I do think there there's potential for inherent conflict between a, a prosecutor and the police department because because like you said they work side by side. But uh, but normally uh, if there's a conflict like that, you bring in somebody from the attorney general's office or or another you know independent prosecutor to to follow up on that to to ensure that those you know conflicts don't potential conflicts don't turn anything anything else you mentioned um you personally and, and as a congressman um you know seeing that video how it affected you with george floyd and the conversations that are coming out of it when you're in washington and or talking to your colleagues are they seeing do you feel like they're seeing that broader picture as well not just that there's an issue with that single incident um or just in certain interactions with uh, police departments in the country, but as you said, like the grander scope of things, like it's not, it's a, a racial issue that goes across all sorts of industries and just day-to-day -day life. Do you feel like they're in that same boat as you where the, the, they recognize there's work to do and, and they're, um, they're motivated to do that? Yeah, I hope so. You know, I haven't had as many conversations uh, in, in the last couple of weeks with my colleagues on this, uh, on, on, on their specific viewpoints as, as I'd hope because of the social distancing guidelines. So when we go up there, you know, we, we do have to, you know, that so we've been somewhat restricted. Um, what I'm more impressed by is, is the people I see on social media or, or people I know who in the past would never touch this topic or never bring it up or never even admit uh, that any privilege exists. And now they're starting to, be a little bit more vocal or open to the idea. And I think that's a fundamental shift. Um, and I think that people, sh you know, should be talking about this more, especially, you know, uh, my friends who are African-American or, or family members who are African-American, that they talk about these these instances of discrimination, uh, whether it be when, when how you're treated when you're pulled over by a police officer or how you're followed around in a convenience store. I mean, people need to be talking about these specific issues and keep these things front and center because what we don't need is for this to die down and then, you know, another news story breaks and we just change the channel and we, you know, uh, all, we're off on something else because, you know, people of color don't have that luxury to just change the channel every, every single day. Um, you know, they're living it and they're breathing it. And so, um, yeah, I'm glad. I'm just glad to see that that this has become more of a robust conversation, and, and that people are, are listening. Um, you mentioned that you like seeing what everyone's doing out in the community and, and and talking about these things more. In that same vein, for people who um, you know maybe tired of bipartisanship, or uh, I'm sorry, lack of bipartisanship in in, in politics, or 
feel like their voices aren't heard by whoever their representatives may be. What's the best way in your mind for them to be involved, whether it's this um, topic or others, and, and really put the uh, the pressure on their elected leaders to do the types of things that they want? I think you have to be active. I mean, politics is not a, uh, a uh, bystander sport. You know, you have to get involved. And we were talking earlier, like, I never ran for any office before, but after 2016, I was just sick and tired of watching the way the country was going. And I'm the youngest of five brothers, and you know I, uh, you know I wanted to get off the sideline and do something, and that's that a big reason what motivated me to jump into it. I think people have to realize that each and every one of us have a, a role to play, and that you know I'm always a big fan of the quote, you know it's better to regret the things you did than the things you didn't do. You don't want to wake up in two years, ten years, twenty years, and look at your children or grandchildren and said that say that during this time, 2020, this pivotal moment that you sat on the sideline and that you didn't do anything and that, you know, you didn't, you didn't help pen that next chapter of history for our country because it is such a tumultuous time right now. And I would tell those people to, to get involved, get off the sideline, find some groups that, that advocate for, for the interests that you have and the values that you have and go to meetings, be a part of that, vote, uh, exercise that right. It is such a strong right. Uh, seek out those candidates. Hold your elected officials accountable. You know, every single week I get I get a breakdown of the the correspondence we receive from in district, whether it be emails or letters uh, or or phone calls, and it breaks it down between the topics. And I get specific uh, call outs, so I get a good understanding as to you know people are um, are uh, are calling the office this week because this is a topic of interest. Um, and so these are things and and. And oftentimes I'll, I'll, call, I'll call them back and, and speak a little bit more in depth about it. But um, let your voices be heard. You know, I know that if, it, if it's important to my office, I'm sure it's important to other offices as well. So I just have so many different questions I could ask. But one of the things, one of the things I asked you earlier was, like, you know, what's been most difficult about it? And you mentioned specifically the time period that we're in, and that's fair. But just from a more like logistics or things we wouldn't expect. Um, you know, uh, one of the things I'm always fascinated by is especially uh, for congressmen, uh, you're campaigning constantly, right? You know, every two years you have to to run, you have to raise money, and you're not in a district that, you know, is traditionally uh, Democrat where you, you can just kind of rest on the fact that you're the nominee. You, you notice, huh? Yes, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what is what has it been like trying to – you, I mean, two years is just not a lot of time to sit down, figure out what issues you want, figure out where you want to make a difference while you still have to campaign and raise money and get out there and shake hands. Um, how has it been dealing with the scheduling of all of that? I mean, it's a um, – for, fortunately, I've got great great people work with me, and I think that's key. Um, and, you know, with a young family, it, it presents its own set of challenges. We, we have a two-year-old, and so I, I – I could break down my time in D.C. between two halves, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, because they're completely different. So pre-pandemic, um, you know, I go up on the D.C. on Monday morning. I come back on Thursday, so I'm spending three nights up there. I'm doing that three about three weeks a month. And uh, it's a bit of a challenge, you know, to leave my wife behind to care for our son, and she's working full-time. And so it's it's a it's a burden on, you know, on her and, and a lot of extra work she has to put into it. Um, 
you know the there there you're right. There's also uh, campaigns are expensive, and you you have to fundraise for them as well. We don't take any money from PACs or special interests. Every single dollar we had in our war chest and have in our war chest has a name and a face attached to it. So, um, you know, but by I, like, I'm a firm believer that if you do what you say you're going to do and you're transparent and honest about it, then I think that that the voters are going to send you back. And we've tried to be as communicative, communicative as possible with our constituents. Uh, sending out weekly emails, letting them know what has come up, what we voted on, why we voted the way we did, and um, yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of work, but you, you know I don't think you get into this thing thinking you can just kick your feet up and uh, <laughs> and not not like I said, we're, I'm proud of the work that our office has done, I'm proud of what we've gotten accomplished so far, and I'm, I'm I'm very excited about what we can do in the future too. And what about in terms of staffing? Like, where did you you know for how many people? you get allocated to be on your staff and where did you find those people yeah. as you know the the first blue congressman from this district yeah. a long time i don't think it's like you had a war chest of people to dive into yeah. locally well I, I i was i was fortunate to uh, land a, an incredible chief of staff uh, lane lofton uh, from the get-go and so lane was instrumental in putting together a a great staff incredible staff a diverse staff that represents the face of the first congressional district and so we have, you know, you have an office in D.C., you have an office here in Mount Pleasant, you have one down in Beaufort, um, and, you know, all that's separate from the campaign side as well. Um, but Lane was able to take, take in a, a lot of resumes, sort through it, and find the people who are passionate about serving the people in the first congressional. That's what we do, you know, who are passionate about it, as many people as he could find who are from the district, who understand our values and the issues. And just put together an incredible, uh, incredible team. And, and fortunately, you know, um, um, I think one or two have left in the last year and a half. But aside from aside from those, I mean, we've we've you know kept everyone together. I'm very very proud of it. I have a very, really close knit team and effective team. And what are some of the big things you have coming up that you're trying to accomplish, or things that you guys are working on right now? Well, th- that Great American Outdoors Act is one that we just introduced, and that is a, a just a you're not going to find many bigger pieces of legislation in the environmental field than than that. Um, you know, the Land Water Conservation Fund is 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 what, what funded like the Pitt Street Bridge, uh, Folly Beach Pier, uh, a lot of parks we go to. Um, is it, it manages the funding of that and disperses the funding for those. So that's a big piece. Uh, we're also still focused on on driving down the cost of healthcare. We've passed a number of bills in the House uh, that uh, you know. Protect people with pre-existing conditions. You know, don't throw them off their their insurance. I know some some politicians want to just throw those people off their insurance, um, which is heartless in, in in my opinion. But but we've got a lot of things that we've got a lot of you know problems that we're facing right now. Obviously, the pandemic and this coronavirus has been front and center. And in addition to you know what's transpired in the last few weeks in the news regarding uh, racial injustice and and, and police reform. So those are going to be, you know, kind of uh, taking up the, the majority of the oxygen um, for the next several weeks, I imagine. Have you seen or heard about anybody working specifically on legislation around those issues? Yeah, there's there's one that the um, that is in committee right now uh, dealing with police reform. And again, uh, some of these things like, uh, you know, barring uh, chokeholds, uh, creating a national database, creating transparency with police forces, 
Uh, it, it, it does a whole host of things. And, and that legislation, I think, was just put out this week, right? Maybe Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday. Um, the Great American Outdoors Act, that's already been introduced. Um, there's a companion bill over in the Senate. The president has indicated that he wants that he wants to sign that into law. So that's something that will we'll hopefully make it across the finish line uh, in, in the very near future. So, um, you know, there's, and then of course the coronavirus, there's, there was the, the HEROES Act, which passed the House. Uh, the Senate has yet to show much appetite in a, a, another uh, stimulus package, but, but I remain hopeful, optimistic. Bringing it just a little bit closer to home, um, we actually were out to dinner with a local business owner um, two nights ago, and the clash of what's going on with every with all of the injustice and the rioting yeah. and the protests we're seeing, and also all these business owners who are unable to open up yeah. and occupy at full capacity. Um, where do you think we're going to be? And now our numbers are spiking. We've opened up down here. You know, as of Memorial Day, we started opening up, and our numbers are increasing every day. <laughs> I watch Christian put them out, yeah. and I just want to unfollow him. Um, but where, where do you think? Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> um, where, where do you think we go from here with with these numbers and what's happening? I mean, there's still protests coming yeah. up even this weekend. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, and I think that the the protests are, are not something that's going to disappear. And, and you know, as as to you know the those that have turned violent, uh, I think we have, it's important that we condemn violent protest and any type of process that, that, you know, evolve into damage of property or, or, uh, harm people's lives. Um, I was down on King street, like the Sunday after that, uh, I think last, last Sunday, the Sunday before, you know, after those violent protests and, um, talking to business owners and it was just, you know, it was terrible what unfolded and, and how it took a turn for the worse. Uh, we can't let those few bad actors, who participate in these violent protests, um, you know, tar the rest with a bad name who are out there peacefully protesting. Um, because uh, that, that's, that's obviously obviously not fair. And, you know, as it relates to uh, the uptick, as you mentioned, like we definitely have to keep her on the ball. And uh, as we look at the number of cases rising, that those the number of cases I think it can be expected to rise as we – as we test more people, too, I think that that stands to reason. You're going to see more cases reported with more, an increase in case, and, and sorry, an increase in testing. Uh, the important metric I feel like we need to keep an eye on is the infection rate. You know, the percentage of those who are testing positive, and so that's something we've been keeping a close close eye on. And and look, I think you know the the governor and the state. And the local municipalities put their own restrictions in place. Uh, there is also, in addition to that, um, a uh, personal responsibility that each and every one of us have to uh, exhibit. And you know, my father-in-law lives uh, adjacent to us. Um, he's 70 years old. He's diabetic. He's in that you know that class of people who are more susceptible to this this virus. And so, so we have to be a little more careful. And I'm more mindful as to where I go and, uh, you know, restaurants and things like that. And so each of us have to take that into consideration. Um, we're not out of the woods yet, though. So I, so I, I want to just, just 
dispel any type of false sense of security that anyone may have that we're on the back end of this thing because the numbers show that, that we're not. And so we have to keep on monitoring those, increase the testing, um, and you know, hopefully the, those funds that Congress approved uh, have, uh, have been allocated in, in the right areas of health care that they need to be right now to fight this. Awesome. Where, where is your stance on, so Mark and I were at the protest last Sunday um, on the Ravenel Bridge mm-hmm. where the chief of police from Mount Pleasant came out and all of, a, a number of the police officers came out. They were uh, walking with us. They were handing out water and they got a ton of backlash for standing with the protesters. Um, and I'm just wondering where what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, w- I would think that, that that's what people would want, is that it pro- as police officers and law enforcement would be standing with people and rec- you know, recognizing they have a right to protest and that they have a reason to protest as well. And I've seen, I've been, you know, just um, really encouraged by a lot of pictures and stories I've seen across the nation uh, that shows law enforcement officers hugging or you know uh, or you know embracing or just encouraging these people to peacefully protest and recognize the the need for it um, so again like i don 't think that 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 we should be saying that, that all law enforcement is bad or that you know i don 't think we need to defund the police uh, I think that we need to recognize that uh, th- there there are errors and uh areas that need to be reformed and, and target those. Yep. Well, we've drilled you with the tough questions long enough. So let's, let's have a little bit of fun. Uh, where, where are your favorite places to go out in Charleston? Favorite place to eat? What bars can we find you at? It's like memory, it's like memory lane here. I'm trying to think about the days when I would go out for restaurants. Yeah. Well, I think pre coronavirus. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, Christian knows I'm, I'm a big fan of the breweries here yep. in town. Yep. Uh, I, I like them because number one, I like, you know, I like to I like beer, uh, but also I like the support small businesses. I like to, uh, um, you know, I like to go where the people are, and that, that is a, just a, a great thing. A great thing we're able to do that was you know able to go out and meet people where they are. Um, yeah, restaurants. I, I don't, you know, people ask. That's a hard question. I think it's like, what's your favorite restaurant in Charleston? And you don't and, have to pick one. You can yeah, give us a I couple. I, I, well, I, I can't just think think of one. Um, you know, I, I love. Uh, we're here in Mount Pleasant. Uh, Baco Italian Restaurant is one of my favorite Italian places. Taco Boy downtown is is great. Uh, you know, obviously a fan of kicking chicken. Uh, have been since college here. Um, you know, there's a yeah. You, know, you got you got a Shop house, which is incredible steaks. Um, you know, it just depends kind of what you're in the mood for. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, <laughs> when we get a sitter, we'll, we'll, we'll try to go out. But um, again, like I'm trying to, to draw back to uh, Obstinate Daughter out there on Sullivan's. Yeah. It is incredible. I mean, um, Mustard Seed. I mean, there, there's so many good, good places. It's just hard to narrow it down. Awesome. Well, if people do want to support your upcoming campaign, where can they go? How, where can they donate? How can they volunteer? Yeah, obviously, go, go to JoeCunninginForCongress.com uh, is the best best place, and you can sign up to volunteer there or donate. Uh, again, you know, we're we're been working extremely hard for the last uh, several years, and, and want to continue those efforts too. Uh, but it does it does count on support from people, though. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I really appreciate it. I know we asked you some tough questions there. I think you did a great job. So thanks again, and uh, thanks for agreeing to come on board. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Appreciate thank you. it.